Hi, this is Vishy Anand. You're listening to the Full English Breakfast. On the show today, we'll talk about the Grenka Chess Classic and another event on the very crowded April chess calendar, the Reykjavik Open. Plus, we spend a few minutes with Ben Johnson and the Perpetual Chess Podcast. How are you guys doing? Simon Williams? I'm doing well, thank you, McCauley. Coming back from a flu cold, but recovering well. Did you see any elves while you were in Iceland? I think I saw plenty of strange things over there, McCauley, I have to say. I thought I saw the odd troll, in actual fact, but, you know, don't know if that was me in the mirror. And Lawrence Trent, you were with me down in Karlsruhe and then uh, had to bail for the second half of Granke Chess. But let's start there. We had uh, a big result from Levon Aronian. Yeah, Levon played probably the best tournament in quite some time, actually. He hasn't won a big tournament, I think, for a while. But uh, this time, uh, cruised through, winning a bunch of games. And obviously, that means that Magnus and Fabiano, especially... Um, MVL as well. They just weren't quite playing their best chess, uh, Magnus especially. And Levon won the tournament with quite some distance, actually, between him and the rest of the pack. So it was a good result for Levon. It's great to see, Laws, isn't it? Because, you know, Lev, you know, has had... He's had a bad couple of years. I mean, yeah. people are saying, you know, he's going to be world champ. He's going to challenge Magnus. And he played... You know, he hasn't really shown that for a long time. Yeah, I mean, it, with Lev, it's always been the case that when he got to the biggest stage, you know, the candidates, he's always basically come up short. And that's been his biggest problem because we know he's a he's a class player. But, you know, winning these kind of tournaments is important because not only is it, is it important for the rating, but it's for the confidence, you know. At some point you start thinking, I can't win a tournament anymore. And uh, everybody has these phases of, you know, crisis phases and so on. So I think for Lev it was very important and uh, we'll see how he continues to rebound this year. Uh, as for Magnus, played some okay games, played some slightly dodgy games, especially his game against Ho Fan was particularly bad. Uh, he managed to escape with a draw, of course, but he was in huge trouble there. Also, Magnus hasn't won a tournament for a while now. Crisis? Potential crisis? Well, I, I don't think so. He, he, you know, he's still twenty points clear at the top. It's not a crisis, but he, I think Magnus has got to be careful that he doesn't just slump into a, a phase of not not winning anything. Do you know what I mean? Do you think it's got something to do with his new hair, Loz? I, I think this is probably getting in the way of his eyes or something. <laughs> you know. Well, obviously, I did ask him about his hair and his new glasses. Uh, I was well, going to ask. Yeah, I, t I took a test recently. I was always a little bit nearsighted, and then, um, but I was always told that you can use glasses or you cannot. It's your choice. You don't need to. And then, I, then I've been getting some kind of headaches recently, okay. and uh, I took. Um, uh, a new test and it turned out that all sorts of things were, were wrong so I didn't really? uh, have a choice anymore. He confirmed that it was for medical reasons and not because he's trying to look like a hipster. Good. And his hair <laughs> is, well, his hair is, that is another question, you know? Yeah, he kind, of, he kind of feels like he might fit into Shoreditch a bit more nowadays. Yeah, I, th I think that's what he's trying to do. <laughs> Some you know? trendy bar down there. 
you know, poking himself up, you know, a sleek geek kind of way. Maybe at the cereal bar in, you know, in Shoreditch where they only sell, they only sell cereal. There's a bar, isn't there? Cereal there bar. There is. It's a That's cereal right. bar and they, are, they only sell cereal there, Loz. Um, so it's a it's a breakfast bar? No, it's not even a breakfast bar. It's, it's basically an e- more of an evening bar and uh, they only sell cereal. So you can go there. I haven't been there. I've just read about it. And uh, they sell something like, 300 to 500 different types of cereal so you go in there you know look a bit cool with your trendy glasses on sit down get a bowl of cereal and uh yeah that's your night out basically so um hmm. not the kind of bar i like to uh, frequent i have to say <laughs> well magnus you know i mean he knew he was going to get asked about this glasses and the hair you could see it there was this great moment when he sat down to play his first round game against bluebaum and he sort of looked around had this little grin he knew he was on camera he knew he was getting his picture taken and i read that as like yeah okay i'm the story <laughs> with my glasses looking cool and then and, uh, well, later on, we, we gave him a lot of grief in the uh, live webcast uh, when the players would come um, afterwards. That's actually one of the nice things about this tournament was that it's a, it was a little bit quieter, a little bit more uh, time to spend with, with the players in these post-game chats. And so uh, we had quite a lot of silliness as well as, it, as some very serious post-game analysis. I remember uh, in the game versus Ho Yi Fan where I suggested something Rook A1 and Magnus kind of berated me. He said, no, no, Lawrence, come on, you know, I saw that, and so on. We couldn't believe she took on B5. If she just goes here, I didn't see a move for you. The rook B4 is the move. Ah, rook B4. And if rook A6, rook C4. Yeah. No, 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 come on, Lawrence. The other rook. The other rook. The other rook. The other rook. I like it when Magnus berates me, you know, it's fine. It's a good feeling, yeah? Yeah, there were a couple of moments where Magnus, there was one where Magnus said, come on, give us a little credit. <laughs> Yeah, oh yeah, there's a beautiful line here. Magnus can repeat if he wants yeah. uh, if he wants a draw, but went for the win, as Magnus does. And now in this position, Ruji one is a, a tremendous blunder because of the paradoxical knight g5. But Ruji five yeah, knight. I thought, but I thought it was a draw. I thought this must be a dead draw. Come on, give us some credit, yeah? We, we actually we actually saw this. We were getting we didn't get we're not using an engine, but we got a I think we got some tweets through saying that this was very good. Come on, give me some credit or something like that. I was like, fair enough. You engine watcher. But we didn't use the engine. No, I know, but that's what he thought. Yeah, I know. So it's just funny because we didn't we didn't use the engine at all. You had Peter Leko, who is an engine. Brilliant. Peter Leko, for me, unbelievable player. I have to, I have to admit, Loz, look, um, this is a bit embarrassing, but I, I mean, I was busy doing stuff and I was away in Reykjavik. I didn't actually see any of the commentary, but, you know, I'm sorry, mate. But what I heard was that you and Peter, and it's one of the first times Peter's done commentary, were absolutely amazing. I think what it is with Peter is that he has just got such an outstanding and deep mm. understanding of this game that it was just a treat for spectators to get the insight of a phenomenal of player a real elite chess player phenomenal a bit like, player. Bit like Peter Sviddler I guess something like yeah, that yeah a bit like Peter but I mean it's it, the amount of you can just tell how much work and love he's got for the game sure he just was cracking out gems of wisdom really right he's just he's just a very 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 strong player unfortunately of course you know, since the, the match with Kramnik, sure. you know, I think that really haunts him to this very day. And now he struggles and obviously a bit older too, but he still works tremendously on chess. Some, someone said to me in Iceland, they, they came up to me and they said, Simon, look, you're mainly a commentator now, aren't you? And I was like, oh, well, I guess so. And he said, well, this is a bit like football, isn't it? Like, 
you, you're like a goalkeeper. You're like a failed footballer. <laughs> you're a failed chess player. You know, like a foot. You know, like a goalkeeper in football. They're supposed to be failed footballers. Do you think a commentator? You were saying Peter Lee. You know, Peter nowadays and ourselves. Do you think we're failed chess players? Um, I don't think so. You know, I think it takes a special treat. Well, he still has big ambitions actually to get back into it. He he hasn't been inactive for lack of uh, drive, but just for lack of of uh, specific tournament opportunities. But now he's looking to turn that around with the European Championship in Minsk. Okay, good, good stuff. I think actually to commentate is quite a really hard skill and it's not something that many chess players can do. Um, even even some top chess players, you know, explaining the ideas across to the audience, I think is very, very tricky. Okay, well, we'll put a link on the Facebook page. If you want to see all seven rounds of commentary from the Grenka Chess Classic, there's a handy playlist on Chess24, so you can check it out, Simon, after the fact. Moving on, while we were busy in Germany, you were doing commentary of your own, Simon, up at the Reykjavik Open, and I understand you talked to one of the standout stars. Tell us about that. I, yeah, I did indeed. I mean, I, I was over in uh, Reykjavik commentating with uh, lovely Fiona on the Reykjavik Open, which is, you know, it's one of the best Opens in the world. And um, yeah, I mean, it was it was it was great fun. Um, but one of the one of the stars of the show over in Reykjavik was a member of the so-called Chess Bras, um, who are like a group of players, young players from Canada, who are trying to make chess basically cool because, you know, it does have this geeky image we talked about, which is really unfair. And this was Amarn Hamilton, who who performed absolutely fantastic. You should check out his game against Alexei Shirov. He basically smashed Shirov with the black pieces in a complicated Sicilian. He did a Shirov on Shirov. Uh, it was a fantastic game. And he, he played, he basically shone throughout the event. He got a second Grandmaster Norm. And uh, I was lucky enough to catch up with him for a, for a quick chat, basically. I'm here with uh, Aman Hamilton, who uh, had a great tournament at the Reykjavik Open, one of the stars. And Aman got a Grandmaster Norm quite safely with a couple of rounds to go. Did it in, did it in style. Thank and you. Um, also, we should mention your other Canadian chess bra friend, yes, uh, Michael, um, who also got an IM norm. So you guys did well, yeah. Pretty phenomenal, like uh, for both of us, really. I think we both overperformed. I mean, I'm always hunting the Grandmaster norm, but for it to actually happen is is uh, just crazy. And Michael as well, you know, he's just uh, 2290, so scoring an IM norm being in a position to even play for a GM norm, we're, we're both ecstatic with, uh, with the tournament so far. Good stuff, man. And you're, you're both chess bras, is that right? That's right, we're part of the posse. The part chess of the bra, posse, man. The, like it's this. growing, There's, you know, it's a movement. There's a lot of people uh, who recognize us at tournaments and we like to vlog our, our events so other people can follow and it's getting a lot of uh, publicity. So what, what, what is it? What is a chess bra? Tell us what it is, man. It's like chess bro, yeah? So I guess we say in England, or yeah. a brother of chess. A brother of chess, a yeah. Of chess. It's basically yeah. like a group of guys who just approach chess uh, in a different way, I would say. Um, Whether it's, um, you know, just our lifestyle, uh, our fashion, you know, the fact that we uh, have a bit more social skills than the average uh, chess player. Um, And, uh, you know, we we work together on chess and and we like to have fun. Because chess is, as we know, a pretty cool game. You get to travel the world, you get to travel with your friends, you play something interesting and uh, you just get to have a lot of parties in different places basically you know yeah i don't know who can complain about that like when when it actually boils down like 
what is uh, being a professional chess player, it's it's completely awesome. You, like you said, just traveling, uh, enjoying yourself, and uh, studying the, the game at the, the elite level and competing. Yeah. So can anyone become a, a chess bra then? Is it something like, you know, what do you have to do to be a chess bra? First of all, I mean, like, let's say, yeah. I mean, I, I think I'm a, like, what do you say, honorably, honorable chess bra, surely. Right, you know, an I'm, honorable one, definitely. I'm not, I'm not in a party, but, you know, I've got the ginger jam shit <laughs> going on. So, but I'm a, I'm a chess bra, kind of honorable. But what do you have to do if you're a chess player out there do you have to be a certain age certain sex uh you don't there's definitely no discrimination we have a few basic criteria one of, one of the important ones is you have to be able to hold the chair and, and that's an expression that we use because we we stream we make some videos hold the chair just means you got to be able to sit in front of the camera be able to entertain the crowd play some decent chess and uh, if you're well received you know we we have uh, a large following that is harsh but honest and if they like you then then they like you. So if you can hold the chair, yeah. then that's the, the biggest criteria. Hold the chair. I like that, man. I yeah. like that. Hold the chair. You gotta so hold the chair. I don't know if I've heard that before. That's quite a cool expression. So um, so you've got to be able to sort of entertain, but yeah. play, be pretty decent chess. Because there's some people, for example, you know, the chess bras is a growing movement, but we have uh, people that are definitely chess bras that are maybe like 12, 1300. And, okay, cool. you know, they make up for the chess in other aspects. They're entertaining. They can hold the chair. They're well-received. Yeah. So so you don't have to be a good chess player to be be a proper chess bra. No so way. So if anyone's listening to this and they think, hey, man, this sounds pretty cool. Yeah. I want to be a chess bra. What should they do? Should they contact you guys and <laughs> try to get some stuff going? Well, we're, we're everywhere, Simon. You know, we're on uh, Twitch. We're on YouTube. We're on Instagram, Twitter. So um, the whole thing is about being a very public movement that sure. people can follow and uh, people can get behind and support so that's the whole idea they're always good fun um, we like to you know pump the, the high volume uh, music as well as the uh, uh, entertainment value and and uh, good chess and definitely learning experiences from time to time you know we, we don't market ourselves as a exclusively you know instructive brand but we if you you stick yeah, around you, yeah you definitely learn something it's about though. a party surely it really is and, entertainment and you learn some stuff as well come on yeah. you guys are great chess players so yeah you know you just got a GM norm here and this very quickly before we sign off you know let's just talk about that so first of all people might not know this but you're not shaving until you become a grandmaster yeah Is that's that true? true that's true simon so what happens if this goes on it won't do it won't do right for 10 years you're gonna just grow grow this thing well the thing is simon if it goes on for 10 years i have a guaranteed part in maybe game of thrones or something like that like like or, or you'll you probably if you, you haven't made it in 10 years You'd be looking for that tramp role. You'd be there already. Exactly. Be I'll, be, I'll be that musty guy in an old 70s movie. <laughs> I could have made it as a chess bra, but I didn't. Yeah. So, uh, I'll so be that guy on a, an island with a volleyball. <laughs> <laughs> I think I've seen that one. Um, but yeah, cool. Well, you I mean you've had a fantastic thing. You will be a GM soon. You've got two GM norms. You've got your second one here. You just need one more to become a grandmaster. Yeah. Well, uh, first of all, it's my second time in Reykjavik. Uh, I came in 2013 and I didn't do so well chess wise. And uh, most importantly, I was staying in a hotel quite far away from the venue and quite far away from the whole experience. Yeah. Um, I really like the fact that it's one game a day, so there's tons of side events. I played the blitz here, I played the football. I was basically just getting involved with whatever I could, showed up to the pub quiz. So um, if anyone you know, wants to, to go to the Reykjavik Open, um, you, know, you can focus on the chess if you want, but you can go sightseeing, you can go 
downtown, you can go to all the side events. It's it's really a social experience, and I think that's what most people treat this tournament as. And yeah. that's what I did. You know, I'm not going to change anything to try to be serious or make a norm. I'm here to have fun, and if I make a norm as well, then that's what happens. And that's, that, that, that is what happens. And that is what happens. <laughs> so good stuff. <laughs> yeah, I'm not I'm not changing my routine. No. Well, look, cool, man. We'll, we'll, we'll let you. It's the last day now, and I want a beer. I'm sure you want a beer. We're actually drinking a beer. We're actually drinking We're a actually beer. Let's, let's not lie. We're having a beer anyway. Let's go and have some more, yeah? So. Absolutely. All right. Very interesting. And yeah, we'll have to delve into this uh, chess bras group. I've been following uh, Robin van Kampen and Eric Hansen for a while. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're, cool. they're cool guys. I mean, they, they are doing a lot of stuff, I think, for chess. It's not to everyone's taste, but, you know, what is? And um, they're, yeah, they're just trying to make it quite trendy. And uh, they're also blooming good players as well. So, uh, you know helps <laughs> well we should also uh, mention the winner of the tournament Anish Giri yeah I mean Anish was it's quite funny I have to say you know there's, there's always jokes about Anish um been going around since he drew every game in the candidates I think it was 13 games and he drew every single game and you know people were saying things like well if he was going to be a rapper, he'd be called 50%. <laughs> and, you know, there's all these jokes going about, which I thought was quite a good one. That's um, quite a good one, in fairness. That's quite a good one, isn't it, Loz? I yeah. Like that one. And, uh, you know, loads of jokes going about. And they're saying how he's such a boring player, they expect him to draw. And I have to say, you know, if anyone who understands chess and actually looks at his games, I think he's completely the opposite. Yeah, he he does draw a lot of games, but they're nearly always from interesting positions. He, he's certainly not one of the more dull players out there. He has a very interesting style. He tries things, he takes risks, and he joined us in the commentary room over in Reykjavik on a number of occasions. And I have to say, he's, he's a really nice guy as well. He's got this kind of dry wit, which people might take the wrong way. You know, he can. people think it's a bit insulting, but it, it's kind of a bit of banter, I have to say. And uh, he's uh, he was totally the deserved winner of, of Reykjavik. He, he proved his point. He got... I think eight and a half out of 10 play fantastic chess and winning from the top like that when you've got many other fantastic players is, is really hard to do. So congratulations to him for, for showing how top players can win these opens. I wish more top players dived into open tournaments. Um, it's you know great fun to watch them play against lower rated players to see how they have to win. They can't draw. They have to change their openings. They have to spice things up. They have to play in a, you know, in a slightly different way to the style they do normally. So, yeah, it was great, great to see him win Reykjavik. These days, the FEB is not the only chess podcast around and one that started up only a few months ago but has quickly become a staple of my listening diet is Ben Johnson's Perpetual Chess Podcast, and I'm pleased that it brings Ben himself to the Full English Breakfast. Hey, Ben. Hey, how are you guys doing? Great, thanks. You're in Pittsburgh, right? Yes, I am. I moved from New York to Pittsburgh about three years ago with my wife and then one kid. What, is it now half a kid, or what, what happened? <laughs> no, luckily he doubled rather than shrunk. He doubled, so, right. Yeah. It's always good to double down, you know, yeah, rather so than I, half your bets. So that's that's good news. Exactly. So like Macaulay, I've got two little ones uh, keeping me busy. Great. All right. Well, tell me a little bit about the origins of the Perpetual Chess Pod. Okay, well, 
Macaulay, I read the, the nice write-up you did on Chess 24, and basically, uh, I think we have similar origin stories, except that you guys predated uh, my podcast. I'm, I'm a huge podcast fan, and I love chess. In the past few years, I've gotten back into teaching chess after a time away, and I drive around a lot for chess teaching. I do a lot of mundane chores for my children. So between those two things, I'm constantly listening to podcasts, and it kind of drove me crazy that there wasn't much chess to listen to. So I had this idea on the back burner forever. Uh, I'm busy enough where I was basically hoping someone else would do it. Uh, There's probably a lot of listeners out there who felt the same way. And eventually, it just reached a point where I felt I had to do it. a finance podcast that I listened to wrote a blog that wrote a strong recommendation for a tech guy named Matthew Passy, who helps me uh, with the editing and held my hand through the launch. So once I found him, I felt like it was doable and I knew I had enough contacts in the chess world to make something that I wanted to hear and I thought that other people wanted to hear. So I pulled the trigger and here we are. Well, cool. So you've got a producer too. So already you're ahead of uh, a lot of podcasters. Well, not all of us are tech geniuses like you, Macaulay. So uh, I had to work with what I had, and I was fortunate enough to find someone who could help me. So thank you to Matthew. Well, I'm, I'm for one, I'm glad that you did it and not somebody else, because you seem to have a real knack for setting people at ease and asking probing questions uh, and getting a lot of interesting discussion going. I've always learned something new. I think I wrote this, but even for guests that I know pretty well, I always feel like it's worth the 45 minutes or 50 minutes that I've put into uh, listening to each episode. And I think I've heard everyone to date uh, in its entirety. Well, I'm guessing you're part of an exclusive club having listened to every minute. I thank you for that. Yeah, I'm not a professional interviewer. I, I think I'm getting a little bit better. The hardest part, and you guys can probably relate to this, is trying to strike a balance between like the insider view that a lot of our listeners, obviously, are going to be hardcore chess fans. But you don't want people who stumble into it to be shut out either. So for me, it's tricky to navigate exactly in what detail do I grill Peter Svidler about his career? Do I, you know, do I make him go through his childhood when that's well covered online? Or do I just, you know, let him talk about what he wants to talk about? So those are the sort of philosophical questions I'm still wrestling with in terms of providing the listeners with what they want. I think your selection of guests has been excellent as well thus far, getting a wide array of people within the chess world of different strengths as well and as as macaulay said the fact that your guests they feel so comfortable they do seem to open up a bit more so for example the the podcast with peter Svidler, he really went into huge depth about some very personal issues and i think that's a testament to to your skills ben so i won't you know massage your ego any further no please you know, go uh, on don't, no, don't no, hold back <laughs> no but i really enjoy it and i think it's great for chess i think we have a common mission in that we want chess to grow as a as a game as a sport and i think podcasting is is a big part of that i mean podcasts now i listen just like you ben to dozens of podcasts I, when i'm traveling I, it's all i do i just download podcasts and every other sport has a gazillion kind of podcasts and Chess deserved a couple of good ones at least too. So, yeah, you said you're now doing chess lessons, but am I right in saying that you, like me, were involved in a bit of the 
slightly riskier side of of life pre uh, pre chess lessons no yeah like many chess players and it's come up on the podcast i was a professional poker player for seven years uh that's i mean i knew jan gustafsson through chess but that's sort of one of the ways we bonded is we had a lot of poker friends in common uh also chess players greg shahadi donnie ariel and some others uh but yeah i mean i was i was on the ground floor in poker so i i wasn't a poker genius but i did pretty well for myself for many years i played online and uh traveled to tournaments all over the place um visited jan in hamburg way back when so i taught chess out of college for a couple of years and then poker exploded so i ended up just it didn't make any sense to teach chess for a while i always liked it and always sort of knew it was in my back pocket but there just reached a point where i couldn't ignore the money available in poker I quit in 2011, um, and I was definitely burnt out. I'd been playing probably more than 40 hours a week for basically seven years, although I had some breaks in there. And it was getting more difficult. I wasn't making as much money. I was also in my 30s, and you know, it's not the easiest thing to have a relationship if you're traveling for poker. So basically, it just reached a point where I felt that I had two paths before me. I could decide on a stable lifestyle um, or really going all in, as they say, on the poker lifestyle. Poker used to be at a point where you could just sit in your pajamas and make money. And that moment was clearly gone, but you could probably still go chase the money. But when push came to shove, I wasn't willing to go chase it and live somewhere I didn't want to live. I feel you. I get you. So it's a bit similar to chess, though, in many ways. When you're on the road and playing tournaments, it does affect relationships. I can speak firsthand at that. Okay, well, coming back to the podcast, can you think of some of your favorite moments? You know, things that uh, your guests said that surprised you or that uh, stood out in your mind. I mean, there have been a few. I really enjoyed the Jun Ludwig Hammer interview just because it sort of brought home the smallness of the world. I mean, you know, Jan was hilarious, of course, but I know Jan and I knew, you know, you knew he would be hilarious. And when I was dreaming up this podcast, I had a strong feeling I could get him to come on. But someone like Jun Ludwig Hammer, like elite player from Norway, I don't know him at all. I'd never met him. I just sent him an email and he was nice enough to come on and give that perspective. I mean, it really shows the, you know, the smallness of the world. It's an amazing thing to be able, I'm in an attic in Pittsburgh recording these interviews. And then I, you know, I reach out to someone in Norway and send it out to the world. And then, you know, we have listeners in 90 different countries. So, I mean, the whole thing is just amazing to me. And it's really gratifying that I've gotten feedback that people are enjoying it. At least podcasts are kind of the polar opposite to English pubs. You get more and more springing up, mostly, you know, like English pubs, you probably know, like, the whole industry is in decline and the pub closes every week in England, which is a real shame. That's why Simon Williams is able to join you guys now. <laughs> it's, one of, it's one of the reasons, actually. He, he did mention that. As <laughs> Speaking of Simon, when is he going to get on your, uh, your logo? <laughs> uh, as soon as he sends me a picture. Okay. He, I asked him for a photo and he said, he said he, his hard drive crashed and he hasn't been able to find a decent photo of himself. Okay. Well, anyway, for more from Ben Johnson's Perpetual Chess Podcast, visit perpetualchesspod.com and subscribe. Okay, thanks, guys. All right, well, it's been a, a crazy couple of weeks. We've all three of us been running around, so we'll uh, have a longer chat again soon. Sounds good, guys. All right, boys. Cheers. I'll speak to you later. Take it easy. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.
what what is nonsense? I can't remember what I was about to say. Can we just put that on record? Uh, Lawrence can't recall nonsense. Everything you do is nonsense, Lawrence. <laughs> this is not this is not right. What's, what's happened to you, man?